The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, we are uh, in the second week of a series that, that we're doing on hospitality. We've, we've called this series Making Room. Uh, and I mentioned this last week, when, when we talk about hospitality sort of in our culture, I think our imagination sort of instantly goes to like images of, of Martha Stewart or Rachel Ray, like teaching us to host a nice polite dinner party. Uh, and again, nothing wrong with that. In fact, we need more of that. Uh, and I think there's a place in biblical hospitality for that. But that's not really what the Christian discipline of hospitality is about. When scripture talks about hospitality, this is what it means means benevolence or good done to those outside your circle of friends. Hospitality is benevolence or good done to those outside your circle of friends. And so throughout this series and this morning, whenever I use the word hospitality, don't think Martha Stewart, think benevolence or good done to those outside of your circle of friends. And if we, have, if we think about that discipline, and we think about that actually being practiced in our world, Man, that is a powerful thing. Hospitality is powerful. Hospitality is subversive to the way many things trend in our world right now. And so we need it. We need hospitality. We do. Because we live in an incredibly polarizing time. We live in a time that's got a great amount of distrust. I uh, just read an article in Time Magazine that that came out like last week. uh, And it was called, How We Are Losing the Internet to the Culture of Hate. And, and this article in Time focused on, on this idea of trolls on the internet. You guys know what trolls are, right? So it's people that, that use sort of social media platforms uh, to, to insult, to shame, to, to really harass other people. Uh, and the author of this article, Joel Stein, he referenced a, a survey that had been done by the Research Center a couple of years ago that stated that 70% of 18 to 24-year-olds have been harassed online. 70% of 18 to 24-year-olds have been harassed online. Now, I don't know that any of us are really surprised by that number. Is anyone here? Like, I'm not, I'm not really surprised by it. Like, I don't think any of us are shocked by that because you've either maybe experienced some assaults online, some harassment online, or maybe because we're a bunch of sinners here, you've done some, or maybe you've seen it happen to someone else. But this does sort of exist, this sort of negative culture that, that, that raises up. In fact, uh, this, this just happened to, to our church recently. We just got trolled. We did it, Okay. Um, so, so a couple of weeks ago, this, this guy like wrote this big, long blog article about this conference that I'm speaking at in a couple months. And, uh, he's just really angry about it for whatever reason. I don't know. Uh, and at any rate, he goes through each of the speakers and throws, throws shade at each one of us. Right. And so he gets to me and instead of just focusing in on me, he decided to extend it to all of you. You're welcome. Uh, and, and he said, he called, he called Axe Leander a Lutheran square peg in an evangelical round hole. Which I thought about, I'm like, yeah, I kind of like that, you know? Like, that's fairly accurate. Um, now, now like, like, why does that happen? Like, why do people do that? Why is that sort of hostility there? Uh, well, psychologists call this the online disinhibition effect. The online disinhibition effect. Uh, and it's, it's this idea in which factors of, like, anonymity, invisibility, no authority structure, lack of communicating in real time, all these sort of things add up to, to really allow people, or it, it gives people an excuse to speak to others in a way they would never do it in a normal social circumstance. Oh, well, no one's going to catch me, so I'm just going to throw this out at someone. I'm just really going to run them down right now. 
And I say all this, we talk about trolls, and someone says, well, yeah, okay, so that, that does exist out there. This is probably, though, Gabe, just like a minority of people, you know, sitting on their Star Wars sheets in their mom's basement, just kind of spewing angry things. Um, but that's not the case. Uh, in this article, uh, Stein references a book called This is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. It was great. Uh, mapping the relationship between online trolling and mainstream culture. And in it, the author Whitney Phillips says this. Trolls are portrayed as aberrational and antithetical to how normal people converse with each other. And that could not be further from the truth. These are mostly normal people who do things that seem fun at the time that have huge implications. You want to say this is the bad guys, but it's a problem of us. I love that last line, right? You, you want to say it's the bad guys, but it's a problem of us. And see, friends, this is why hospitality is so subversive. This is why hospitality is so powerful. Doing benevolence or good to those outside your circle of friends. That, that when it's so easy and so common to be hostile to people not like us, we as the church have the opportunity to not be hostile, but to be hospitable to people not like us. It's a beautiful thing. And it's what we're called to do as a church. And so that's what we're going to look at today is what does it mean for us as a church, as the church, to be hospitable. Last week we talked about how God welcomes us with his hospitality. Next week we're going to look at what does it mean for you to be hospitable in your own personal lives. But today it's going to be about us as the church. Uh, what does it mean for us to be hospitable as the church in a hostile world? Because the reality is this is nothing new for the church. Our, our text for today, 1 Peter, uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, he's writing to a church that's facing severe persecution, facing severe suffering, and he's saying, hey, in the midst of that hostility, in the midst of that hardship, I want you to be hospitable. I want you to do benevolence and good to those outside your circle of friends. And in this text, we'll see how to do that. We'll see how to be a hospitable church in a hostile world. And the way we do that is we live in faith towards God, love towards others, and as stewards of God's grace. All right, so that's what we're going to see today, type A friends. Faith towards God, love towards others, stewards of God's grace. All right, so let's get going. Look with me. Uh, we live in faith towards God. Look with me at verse 7 in our text for today. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. All right, so to a church that's in a hostile world, uh, St. Peter writes to them and he says, hey, the end of all things is at hand. And that's actually good news. He's saying, listen, I know things are hard. I know things are tough. I know it's difficult for you. But, but guys, remember, a day is coming when God's going to make everything right. When everything that's broken, when all this suffering, when all this messed up stuff that happens, there's going to be a day when everything's going to be all right and we'll be at peace with God. So he says, remember that that's coming. But in the meantime... He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Don't get distracted. Why? For the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. And so what's he saying there? He's saying, yes, things are tough for y'all. Things are tough for y'all. But he says, don't let that be an excuse to take your eyes off God. He says, don't let that be an excuse to not live out the mission that God has placed you on. He says, stay in prayer. Stay connected to the Father. Live in faith towards God. And see, what, what, what Peter's tapping into here is this, like our temptation really at all times, but especially when things are more hostile, is to turn inward. 
Our temptation is to stop looking up to God and instead start navel-gazing. Uh, the, the, the church father, uh, St. Augustine, said sin is homo incarvatus in se. Sin is man turned in on himself. It's man turned in on himself. That the reality is, as human beings, we were designed to live open. That we were designed to live lives where we look up towards God and we extend out in love towards others. But what happens is in sin is we, we turn in on ourselves. And see, so here's the thing. This is true for us as individuals. But what I want to look at today is this is actually true for any church over a period of time. That a church culture has a tendency in the midst of a hostile world to turn in on itself. To say, hey, whoa, things are hard out there. It's scary. We're nervous. Things are tight. Let's just let's bunker down, folks. Let's just hold on to each other nice and strong. Let's do that, right? The church has a, has a capacity to do that. As a church culture, we can turn in. It can even happen at Acts. Ken. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with the book uh, Screwtape Letters, it's written by the, the great thinker, uh, 20th century thinker, C.S. Lewis. Uh, and in this book, it's, it's about an older demon named Screwtape writing letters to his nephew, a younger demon named Wormwood. Uh, and the whole idea is he's kind of laying out like this is the demonic plan of attack against humans and how we want to distort them. And it sounds kind of ner nerdy. I guess it is, but it's fascinating. Anyways, and, uh, and so, so that's his whole deal. And there's this chapter in which Screwtape writes to Wormwood his plan uh, for what they want to do against the church and, and what they would love to see happen in the church. And so he says this, we want the church to be small. Not only that fewer men know the enemy, the enemy being God, uh, but also that those who do may acquire the uneasy intensity and the defensive self-righteousness of a secret society or a clique. So he says, hey, we don't want people focused on the Father who embraces all, who welcomes all, who says there's room at my table. He says, no, 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 we don't, we don't want people focused on that guy. We want them to turn in like a secret society, like a clique, like a country club. That's what, that's, that's what the demon wants happening. And so as the church, we've got to recognize that that's our propensity. It's, it just, it's human nature. It's what we're going to want to do. And so we've always got to be at war against it. We've got to be fighting against it, recognizing that that's going to happen and to turn from that and live in faith towards God. But not only do we live in faith towards God, but secondly, we live in love towards others. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So Peter says to the church, he says, hey, uh, live in faith towards the Father, but then keep loving each other. And I love what he does here in verse 8. He's like, keep loving each other even when it's hard. Like, that's what he means when he says uh, love covers over a multitude of sins. As those of us in the church, I'm so committed to loving you, I'm so committed to you being my brother and sister in Christ, that even when you sin against me, even if you sin against me, I continue to love you. That's what St. Peter says. That's the, that's the type of love the church is to have for one another. And so that's important to note, that, that the idea of us being a family, that the idea of us being a community, that we, that we want to be, be tight together, that's a good thing, that's a good desire. But... That doesn't work. He doesn't stop there. He goes right into verse 9. He couples it with verse 9 where he says, hey, love one another deeply, but show hospitality. You, you got to open that circle up to the stranger. You got to open that circle up to the person who, who, who's not like you, who doesn't look like you, to those outside your circle of friends. See, 
if there was ever a group of people in this world that was exceptionally welcoming, if there was ever a group of people that didn't let cultural, socioeconomic, racial, religious, or sexual divides get in the way of loving people just doing that, it's Christians. It's Christians. Why? Because we have the best motivation for it. Because we have this deeply held belief, we call it the Imago Dei. A lot of Latin today. Hang in there, kids. All right? The Imago Dei is the image of God. That we believe that, that every single person that ever was, that is, that ever will be, is made in the image of God. And what that means is they're inherently valuable. They have inherent dignity. They have inherent worth. That they're an image bearer of our Father. And so they deserve our love. They're worthy of our love and they're worthy of our hospitality. So a few months ago, uh, we had a hospitality training uh, after worship one Sunday for, for folks here. Some of you were a part of it. And uh, one of uh, the members of our church, uh, she works for Chick-fil-A, and so she helped lead us in that, and she shared with us a video that they do for hospitality training for their business uh, for Chick-fil-A. And, and, and in this, this video, I know you're all hungry now. Listen, it's Sunday. You're not getting it anyways. Best to toss it out, okay? Um, but, but in this video, uh, it's basically you just see this, you, you kind of follow the camera as it goes through a typical experience at Chick-fil-A. But above every person's head who's in the store, you see a little bit of their story. So the title of the video is called Everyone Has a Story. And so above their head are these little words that kind of describe part of this person's story. So it'll show like an older gentleman, and it'll say, uh, just found out his cancer's in remission. Or it'll show a young lady, and it says like, uh, struggles feeling accepted, right? Or, or you'll see a couple, and it'll be like, contemplating a divorce, you know, like whatever it is, and it just gives a little glimpse of their story. And the idea being, for, for Chick-fil-A, that everyone who walks through their doors is an opportunity for them to serve and to show hospitality to because everyone has a story. Now listen, if a fast food chain gets this, how much more so the church of God? How much more so the church of God, right? And so let me just like get like super pragmatic. All right, we've been maybe 30,000 feet. Let's go like 30 feet here. When it comes to welcoming people into our gathering, into like this right now, this is not, it's not like a simple thing of like, oh, we're just friendly. Like every church thinks they're friendly. Not all churches are. I'm just going to say that, okay? Everyone, oh, we're really friendly. No, you're not, okay? And we should not be blind to that either. And, and so what that means is, is when we're welcoming people into our gathering, it, it's not a matter of just being friendly. It's a matter of recognizing that every person who walks through those doors is made in the image of God. That they're of inherent value, of inherent worth, that it's recognized that we see them, that they're not invisible. They're made by the Creator, that they matter. And so they're loved by God and they're loved by His people. But let me just be real with y'all. We, we really, we don't always do this. We don't. A couple months ago, I got an email uh, from a friend of mine who'd been feeling us out, worshiped with us a couple times, and I'm just going to share it with you, all right? This is the exact email. There's a paragraph before it, but it had nothing to do with this. It said, we have never been to the 11 o'clock service, so everyone is a stranger to us and vice versa. When we first arrived, I went to the restroom, and my wife went inside and sat down. When I finally wandered in, she mentioned that no one had greeted her. 
I pretty much blew that off because, truth to tell, I hate making small talk with people I don't know, so I'm perfectly happy to be left alone. After the service, I went to the, get to the restroom again. Too much tea in the morning and not enough food to slow it down. Too much information. Um, then when I came back, you and I talked for a while. When I got back inside, my wife said we needed to leave and was upset, so we left. When we got out to the truck, she said that no one talked to her, and when she tried to engage two or three people, she was met with a stone wall. They said hi and then walked away and got into other conversations. So she felt like no one really cared about being welcoming and didn't really care about being a family, even though we were waiting for the membership class. So she said she was not going to stay while these same people then tried to play nice in the membership class. And she said she was never coming back to Acts. Now listen, I read that, and like we could make a bunch of excuses. Oh, it's too sensitive, get over it. We just let that sink in, okay? Like, like a woman came into our midst, and the impression that she got was that no one cared. Like, that's not a church I want to be a part of. And I don't think it's a church you want to be a part of. Now, the good news is, there's a strong Christian family. They found another church. They're doing fine. I had coffee with them this week, okay? But I think about it. What an opportunity for us to be hospitable that was missed. That was missed. And, and who knows how many other times that's happened because of our propensity to turn in on ourselves instead of in faith towards God and in love towards others. So if you've been with us for a while, you may have noticed that in the last couple months we've stopped doing the, uh, the mandatory handshake at the beginning of service, right? Where hey, shake your neighbor's hand, right? We stopped doing that. Uh, and we did that because we're actually trying to build a more hospitable culture. And I may say, Gabe, that doesn't make any sense. Handshakes are generally a hospitable thing. Yes. But what we're trying to do is shift from a moment of forced, inauthentic hospitality to a culture of hospitality in which you don't need some guy up front telling you to shake someone's hand, right? To a culture of hospitality in which each one of us here who calls us our church home recognizes, oh my goodness, there are people here who bear the image of God. They're worthy of being recognized. They're worthy of dignity. They're worthy of me saying hi and greet them. You don't need me to tell you that. But that's just part of who we are as a people. You get that? Right? It's not about a moment of hospitality. It's about building a culture of hospitality. And I know I say all this, and introverts, you are just like squirming in your seats right now, like easy weirdo, okay? Sorry, I don't know what to tell you, man. You, you may have to get over some things. And, and you know, it is going to be easier for extroverts, okay? But you may have to get over some things and just say hi to folks. And just welcome people. Because people matter too much for us to not get uncomfortable. People matter too much for us to not get uncomfortable. And so we live as hospitable people in a hostile world as we live in faith towards God, as we live in love towards others, and then finally as we live as stewards of God's grace. Look with me at verses 10 to 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Now, this passage of Scripture so far, St. Peter has said, hey, so y'all got to be hospitable. Y'all got to be loving. There's no exceptions there. But then in verses 10 and 11, he says, each of you, though, has been gifted by God in a unique way. That each one of you that has come to faith in Jesus, that have put your trust in him, that God's Spirit lives inside of you and has empowered you to serve in a unique way. He's gifted each of you in a unique way for service to the church and to the world. I just want to sit on this for for like a minute, okay? Because what Peter's doing here is is he's tapping into a pretty major New Testament theme. And that consistently what we see throughout the New Testament uh, is this idea of what we call spiritual gifts. If you grew up in the church, you may have taken an inventory, right? Those are really fun. Uh, And and, and so it's this this idea of spiritual gifts, but but they exist. They're real. That, that God has equipped each of us with gifts to serve each other and to serve the world. And so I just want to like think about how outrageous that is. I just, will you humor me on this? Like just think about God, okay? Like he created the world, created an ever-expanding universe that we still don't really understand. Like we're trying hard. We still can't wrap our minds around it. Keeps going, hung the stars in the sky, just beyond anything we can imagine. That God, the God who's bigger than that, said, ah, and I'm going to live inside each of you. And I'm going to empower each of you to extend my grace to a world that desperately needs it. If, if we, like, actually grasp that, if we actually grab hold of that, how could we not extend that grace to others? It's, it's mind-blowing. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is this, that, that Jesus came, and he went to the cross, and he died on the cross for your sins, and for the sins of the world. So now you stand right with God, you stand right with the Father that nothing separates you from Him forever. But it gets even better than that. Because the gospel is not just about pardon, but it's about presence and it's about power. Because Jesus rose again. And Jesus said, I'm going to be with you always. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, I'm going to be with you always. And then it gets even better, and he says, and I'm going to send my spirit to live inside of you, to give you faith, and to shape you, to extend that grace to a world that needs it. It's incredible. I, I think about it like this. Uh, so when my wife Melissa and I were dating, um, the time came for her to meet my dad's side of the family, which my dad's side of the family, like, they're really good people, okay? But I was not looking forward to this. Uh, they're, they're good people because, like, they're all, they're all northern Wisconsin farm kids, okay? So they're, they're hardworking, thick-skinned, salt of the earth. But, but they're not what we call warm, right? It's just not them. Uh, and, and what that meant was, like, even though they're great people, I was not ready for Melissa to encounter that. Like, I'm used to it. It's culture I grew up with. It's fine. But I remember the idea of taking my new girlfriend at the time to meet them. I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this. But the day came, and, uh, and my wife Melissa and I drove up to uh, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, home of Lion and Kugels. Um, that kills in Milwaukee. Okay, there we go. All right, so, uh, so we drove up there, and, uh, and we get to my grandma's house, and Melissa and I go up to my grandma's door. We knock on the door. My grandma opens it. She sees me, her grandson, whom she loves, with whom she is well pleased. And, uh, and she sees me, and then she sees next to me this young lady who she doesn't know at all. Never seen her before in her life, doesn't really even know her name, right there. And so, of course, what my grandma did is said, who are you? What are you doing here? And shoved her into the snow. No, that didn't happen. 
right? That's crazy. Who would do that? No, man, my grandma smiled and hugged her and welcomed her in and got her something to eat and gave her some coffee. Why? Not because she knew her, because my grandma knew me. And Melissa was with me. And so she was welcomed and loved and cared for. And in fact, by the end of the visit, my uncle pulled me aside and he said, hey, Gabe, if you mess things up with this one, we're keeping her and getting rid of you. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, that love and that family still continues to this day. Listen, it's the same thing with you. A Jesus' work on the cross brings you into the family of God. That you go in with him. You're brought in the front door, he's brought you in. And see, and I think, I think sometimes we think about that, and we think like, oh, well, what Jesus has done for me, it means that, that like God kind of tolerates me now. That like, because of the cross, it's like his wrath shall not smite me anymore. And we just kind of leave it there, and that's good enough. That's not what it says. Jesus brings you into God's family. He brings you into God's embrace and into his love, and his spirit now lives and is at work inside of each of you. And so as those who've been brought into God's family, oh man, we can be hospitable in a hostile world because we can live in faith towards God. We can live in love towards others. We can steward that grace for people who need to see it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for my friends. Thank you for bringing us here together this morning that, that we could look at your word and hear from you. God, I pray that you would shape us to be hospitable people in a world that needs folks to, to love those outside their circle of friends. Give us the strength to do that. Help us to do that as a church. But mostly, Lord, may we see that we've been welcomed by you, that we've been brought into your family, that we've encountered your love. May we now extend that to others. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.